Welcome to the Testing Habits Podcast. This is Eduardo Noyu, and today I'll be speaking with a man whose work I greatly admire, Robert Feld, a professor of software engineering at Chalmers University of Technology in Gothenburg. So he thinks broadly and deeply about software testing, requirements engineering, and human aspects of software development. So we had a good, energetic conversation, which I greatly enjoyed, and I hope you will too. So I give you Robert Feld. My guest in this episode is Robert Feld. Uh, thank you for coming thank to the you. show. Uh, I appreciate it. So for the people that don't, don't know, who, who are not familiar with your work, right. uh, I would like to know more about you mm-hmm. and what do, how do you got into software engineering and research. Right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So, yeah... Um, I guess I got into computers really early on, so I really started as a hacker in a sense. So I got the, even before the Commodore 64, I had a Texas instrument. Wow, yeah. And I was learning basic on that. I think I must, might have been seven around that time. Oh, and uh, basic my, was the first language. Yeah, I think yeah. it was basic. It was right about that, that time. And uh, my father was really supportive. I, I don't think maybe that was the key thing, but at least mm. it uh, helped. Uh, so I remember early on that uh, we got the, there wasn't that many Swedish uh, journals or magazines about this. So we got like a German uh, magazine uh, where there was a code listing, but it was actually a sampler or something. I mean, basically the bytecodes or, or something. And my father and me kind of took turns. Uh, you know, for hours doing writing that in there, and I don't remember what it was about, but, and it wasn't really important what the program did. But it was mm. kind of like I really got an early sense that it was a fascinating machine and, and stuff like that. And I, so I, I continued early on to do demo programs for the Amiga it was my main thing when I was older. And uh, actually, I sold the program very early on. So it was pretty clear to me that I wanted to go straight into computer science or more practical, I guess, mm. because I've, I've been kind of programming since very long. Yeah, I, I had the same experience with my, my dad and everything. I, I just right. went like this. It's like you, you, he, it just, you discover computers, you know how it, they work. It, this is like the first thing. That it's, a, it's a wow yeah. factor, basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and the whole idea that you, you could kind of, I don't know, that you could tell this thing to do something. And it was, and I wasn't into, I, I was never very good at physics or like the practical stuff even. I was good at mathematics and I liked programming. And I think the thing really for me was that it was really creative. I could go from an idea to see it in like an hour. And, yeah. you know, I did demo programming, so it was yeah. really kind of hands on. And this is what, uh, so, so f- I think for me, programming in computers has always been not what you see in the, in the normal culture. Normal culture, it's like something boring, that they just follow instructions and so on. Mm. For me, it's like they are like a, a, a tools for being creative very quickly. And you can kind of turn mathematics and ideas into something that can, can affect people. So this was uh, really why I was interested in computers. And... Uh, so it was really natural to go to Chalmers. I was from Gothenburg. It was mm. all the time natural. I would study computer science and engineering at Chalmers. Uh, and then uh, the, the first summer, my first year at Chalmers, um, I uh, got a job as kind of a software developer and tester in a small company doing uh, the, the signs on buses here in mm. Gothenburg and other places. And uh, so I started consulting for them. So all, th- all through my education, I did this. So coming to the end of my education, I, uh, my master, uh, I felt that I kind of know what the industry is, and I'm not so impressed. You know, I was, it was like classic stuff that uh, the business or salesperson, they sold something we didn't have. Yeah. And the manager, the, the owners were happy. And then they told to- told us that you have two weeks to show a demo, and this is like, and then you worked like all through the night for two weeks, basically, mm. right? So that was my experience, and it was not like I didn't like it. It was just that it felt like it's not really an optimal way of working, and it's kind of stressful. Mm. Uh, so I got the opportunity, I got the scholarship at Chalmers to to do a PhD, 
And the scholarship was quite important because I could select the topics. So it was not like I applied to a project. Mm. I could select the supervisor and the topic. Oh, that's great. So it was a really special thing. And I wanted to make then computers more creative and more uh, soft in a sense. Uh, and the programming of them more soft. So I, I tried to apply biological algorithms to create software and create test cases. And that, uh, that was late 90s. And then a few years later, it was a famous paper called uh, Search Based, basically, with that coined the term Search Based of Frenering. And then I realized I had been doing that. So <laughs> that was kind of a nice. And, and then it just went from there. It's kind of, so it was really about how can we make take this computers and software as a creative force and make society better. And, and you know, it might sound idealistic, mm. but that, that's been it for me. Mm. That, that, I mean, that, that these are all like towards the end. You 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 mentioned some important topics like like search-based software engineering. Right, right. And and these are important. I, I'm thinking we'll go, we'll, we can go through them. But yes. Is it yeah. what, what what are you currently focusing in terms of research? Um, I would say I, I'm kind of partly the last few years I've been coming back to stuff that I was focusing on in my PhD and when I started out in research. I, I would say in the middle, <laughs> after my PhD and uh, up towards becoming a full professor, I think I kind of branched out and did a little bit of everything. I was more opportunistic. I mm. kind of did what, what, what I could get funding for. Not, not really, you know. I always kind of did also what I wanted, but it, I was less picky uh, uh, and so on. Mm -hmm. and it was good, you know, I, I got to see many different stuff. But I think now I'm back to kind of uh, core things like what is software quality, how can we create test cases that, that ensure a certain quality, what does it mean to, I mean, are there limits mm -hmm. even to what you can do with test cases? And then I have maybe in some sense what I see is more valued currently is probably the more psychological and sociology, you know, applying ideas and models and results from psychology and soci sociology to software engineering situations mm. and problems. I think these are maybe my two main strands, but I try to stay pretty broad, actually. Mm. And you can also see that they are quite different. Yeah, they're One is more hardcore. It's like information theory, mm. automated testing, uh, interactive, also interactive approaches for, mm. for solving software engineering problems are really important. But the more behavioral software engineering is something we try yeah. to, to, to get some uh, interest in and, and to really take psychology seriously in understanding how it affects developers. This is very, very interesting, but is it a way, an easy way to explain to someone that doesn't do research Right. What's uh, let's say, for example, search-based software engineering? Yeah, I, I think search-based software engineering. Yeah, I don't know if it's, there's an easy way, but, but <laughs> in some sense, it's, it's like instead of putting a lot of human hours and effort, and you know, sitting down for long, yeah. having meetings, deciding what the software should do. Maybe you still have to do that, but how it should do it and how it should be structured and expressing that. Instead of all in doing all of this manual work, we mm. try to take the currently quite powerful computers we have and let them help us with some of these problems. So we, we post, we, we tell them what our goal is mm. and then we let them use you know, days, months, years of computational time to approach those goals. And then we can maybe select and we can say, is it good enough? Is this test case helping me? Is this design better than the one I had yesterday? Mm. Uh, these type of problems, we can apply now our own tools, our own software, our own computers to help us in this quest. Mm. And I'm not saying it, we will not supplant humans, but we will support them and, and we will give them alternatives, uh, look at the consequences yeah. of different design choices or different implementation choices. But you started with uh, studying artificial intelligence, machine learning, yeah, and then exactly. you got normally to... Then I got into trying to applying these things into mm -hmm. software engineering problems. And, uh, Would you say that this is like one of the most successful areas of research in, uh, in testing, in software testing? Or no. No. <laughs> I wouldn't. No, I, I think... Uh, 
And I think it's not even at the level where I can point to a tool that industry can download and use. I, I think the approach of using AI, machine learning, and search optimization yeah. is really powerful. Yeah. It's very popular, and it's very powerful, and you can really solve problems with it. Yeah. But it's not like it's not like a box I can give to someone and yeah. they can do it. It's, it's much more complex than that. It shouldn't be, mm. but it's still. So uh, is it successful? I mean, in terms of publications and, and you see many, many the, the largest conferences in Sofrenearing have a lot of tracks for this and there's lots of papers. In that sense, it's successful. In terms of industrial impact, it's not yet uh, successful. Mm. But then again, not many things are in a sense. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of gaps. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think there are too many things that you can pinpoint in research that went into industrial adoption right. quite quick. But, but unfortunately, I think a lot of the search-based software engineering mm. research makes assumptions that are not always realistic, mm. and thus the solutions are not as good as they could be. I think mm. the, it's time, we know now, 10, 15 years later, that we can do a lot with search optimization even now machine learning and simple mm. AI approaches. But we are not, in my opinion, in many, time, many times, we are not very good at applying them in a realistic sense. Mm. So we don't really know how good they are or how good they could be. And I think they could be really good, but we need to go out there and really do that work. Mm. Yeah, uh, but it's interesting for me to see this combination that you, you went in, you, you were one of the pioneers of so search-based software engineering. You know, yeah, in a way. Or that's <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and in the same time, you're 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 um, you're very passionate about psychology and social mm. aspects of yeah. software mm. software engineering. So how did you come to study uh, uh, sociology, um, so psychology and uh, human right, aspects? Right. Human aspect, yeah. So, I think it was my, my probably, I don't know if it comes earlier, but at least when I was starting out as a consultant, because before that I more sold the software, so I didn't really see the company. Yeah. I mean, it was more like simple requirements, then you do it, and then you sell it. Uh, but when I started working as a consultant to this small uh, yeah, design, bus sign company, uh, I could see that, I mean, it's... It's not like a technical solution would solve their problems. I mean, in, in some sense, a a te better technology can improve what many industries and companies do. This is obvious, right? Yeah. But can it fully, does it solve all the problems? I, I think it's very rare that it can. I mean, often it's, there's much more complexity in understanding the environment, the people, the teams, the politics. All of these aspects in any company and in also in software companies are probably as important. And I think from my perspective, this has always been obvious. And I, I find the opposite viewpoint that it's that only focusing on the technology would be the natural and, and would solve all problems. I think that seems unlikely to mm. me. I think it's it's a technological uh, you know, it's typical to do this. You can see in, in the culture, you see many examples of this, like Frankenstein. I mean, there are many mm. cultural elements that, that try to touch on this problem that we think that a purely technical solution will solve our problems. I think it's unlikely. So very early on, I took sabbatical during my master studies, Chalmers, and I studied for one year of psychology in the Gothenburg University, so I had this sense that this is going to be important. I need to understand a bit more of it. Mm. Uh, and uh, then it took a long time for me to, to actually do studies and research on this and even longer to get it published. <laughs> I think that, yeah, of course, over the 30, 40 years, there's been many people pointing this out. It's kind of obvious in, in mm. retrospect, but it's not been very easy to do empirical and you know, deeper research on this and get it published. So I think this has happened maybe the last five years. Yeah. That has become uh, more fashionable. Mm. And now it's very clear, I think, uh, the RBSE paper that tries to define and clarify the terms and mm. see what's out there, I think in a, in a year or two since publication, it has maybe 50 citations or something like that. I mean, okay, it's, so it's very clear that this is, now this is, some something is happening around mm. this right now. Right?
but it, it, it is um, I'm 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 curious. It's do you actually think about spending time on doing research only in this, or your try, or you usually like combine yeah, different, so, different areas? Yeah, I don't have a, a, like explicit uh, and clear strategies, <laughs> strategies and plans. It, it's more that I, I kind of think deeply that some approaches are more likely to be part of the future way we solve some yeah. of these problems. And I t try to work in those directions. And then mm. it depends on, you know, can I find a company partner? I've been very lucky now to have a Swedish aerospace company that, that, that they came to us and wanted to investigate these approaches, I mean, uh, and these models and, and ways of thinking. Mm. Uh, without that, I w would I push and do research mm. in this area anyway? I'm not sure. I mean, slowly, mm. but slower. So mm. that's why I think I keep all these things going. I, 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 I tend to s select problems based on what I believe in and what I feel passionate about and f feel is fun. Mm. And then the, the hopefully the projects and the money and funding to do that can come after that. Yeah, and it well, usually happens. Yeah, yeah, it, I think it, so. At, yeah, hand at least hand. for me, so far, it's been okay. Yeah. Now, I would like to talk a bit about empirical studies and evidence, because it seems like right. this is go, goes throughout your yes. career, yeah? Yes. In a way, even if you did a lot of, I guess, uh, technological advancements right, and papers right, about right, right. that, you, you have one core thing, it's the empirical studies and evidence. Mm. And why, why should it be important for software companies or software engineers to have empirical evidence and look yeah. towards that? Is this important for, so, for companies? Or this is more important for, for, for science or for the science of software engineering? Well, uh, no. I, I think my experience is that it's maybe even more important for companies. I, I think, I mean, isn't this the classic way they criticize academia? That we, we sit on our own and we do theories. And we, we, when we do any empirical study, it's like a toy example that has no scalability. I mean, mm -hmm. no problems of scale and so on. So I, I think companies are probably more focused on what is your evidence for this, and uh, you know, yeah, you can have nice theories. They can probably be quite solid, and they can be you know consistent or and whatever. But they are still kind of unproven theories in a sense, and and that does that's probably not enough for mm -hmm. a company to invest heavily in that, right? So I think, no, I think it's crucial both for companies and, and for science. Uh, and uh, I find the opposite viewpoint kind of strange. Mm. I'm not saying that, I mean, clearly mathematics and yeah. theoretical computer science are, are really, really important. Uh, but should they then be the way we do computer science or applied mm. computer science and software engineering? I, I doubt it. And I mm. don't think that companies would prefer that. Yeah. I I am of the same opinion, but uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, but of course people can have different opinions. But I would be, I happily would like, uh, or I even tolerate and respect many of my colleagues who do theoretical mm. research. But I must say, many of them have not shown yeah. the same respect for people that are more applied and working more empirically. Mm. So you know, I think for me this has been maybe also a driver to, to be maybe more empirical and show that there's value or try to mm. show that there's value in that approach. Because uh, for sure, I have felt uh, throughout my academic career that it's, it's much more respectable and nice and intellectual to mm. do theoretical and formal mm. uh, research in, in these areas. And I don't agree. You know, okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I think both have value, exactly. and both should coexist, yeah. and both should probably strengthen the other, rather than uh, pretend that the other yeah. one shouldn't exist. So, so do, you, do you think right now is that because I, I think a lot of the conferences, and maybe you can you can tell me if this mm. is not true, but ICSE and a lot of conferences now they have a lot of empirical research or not a lot but some right is this empirical research or empirical studies are driving also the the theoretical advancements i don't think so i think it's not yet at the level where you can where you can have a clear communication between these two groups i don't think so mm. i mean if you just look at the conferences i i think i agree with you that X, uh, ISTA, maybe other conferences, let, let's say that if you go 15, 20 years back, maybe they were 
at least they had more theoretical papers, and they mm. even even all the papers had maybe less focus on the empirical validation or evaluation. Uh, so I think, yeah, actually I have statistics on this, but I don't. I mean, it's not out in a paper yet. Yeah. But I think there's a clear trend that both conferences that have uh, empirical studies as their core and journals uh, have gained more citations in a sense. I mean, I have some statistics on this. And uh, that overall, this has affected all mm. conferences. So you mm. see more focus on not only empirical studies, but also more mature ways of evaluating and designing uh, mm. uh, you know, for empirical studies. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. But let, let's, let's talk about software testing, because we talked yeah. about software engineering, and I think oh, yeah. you are Sorry, one, yeah. of your, one of your... Uh, um, um, areas of research is software testing. Right, you know, right. And as a scientist, which do you think are the most useful research ideas and techniques that one should try to mm. know about or to learn as a software engineer or as a software tester? Or ah, so you mean like existing ideas existing from ideas, research yes. that you should learn about? Yeah. Uh, I mean... I'm not sure about this one, but I think, and I think I, there's also some evidence that the transfer is happening now on this, but I think mutation testing is pretty powerful. Yeah. You know, I, I know that mo many researchers know this, have used it uh, for their studies, and they've also had lots of critique for it, But because if, if we only evaluate our tools and advancements with mutation testing, I think that, that that's a clear risk, and there are papers showing yeah. that mutation, uh, so basically mutation testing is that you insert and inject a fault and then you see if your test suite finds it and you know the number of times if, if it often doesn't find these bugs then it's probably a worse test suite than mm. a te another test suite where you find more of these bugs but there has been papers showing that real bugs are not the same as these fake bugs in a mm. sense right that you introduce so I think there are some uh, questions about it but I think the technique itself is genuinely a powerful idea. That, and you can see it now when there when there when there are well-supported Java available tools, open source. You can download, you can run it. They are fast. They give mm -hmm. you something. Then uh, many practitioners know about PIT, the PIT test, mm -hmm. and and other tools. But in particular, I think PIT has has uh, increased the use mm -hmm. in industry and open source projects of mutation testing many times. But so yeah, that's, let, so that's let, one. Yeah, that's yeah. one. Let, let, let's talk a bit about mutation testing. So, do you right. think they, you, you, how how do you think this could be used in industry? Is it something that you have inside an IDE, or something that you use as a developer when you're trying to create tests uh, or evaluate your existing tests, or the, is there or mutation testing is a way of thinking about your tests? No, I would probably say it's pretty concrete. I think you can download PIT today. Yeah. If you're a Java developer, you can download PIT, and I think you can get a lot of benefit from that. Mm. So I think that the foremost one is that you kind of get at least a relative sense of if you're improving your test suite. Mm -hmm. So if you're, adding, if you're writing new tests tomorrow, and you run PIT today and then after tomorrow, mm. then you get some kind of sense, are my... The tests I added, are they helping me find some problems that at least theoretically could happen? And, you know, there is some evidence that at least some of these fake bugs have similarity with real bugs. Yeah, so, there are right? a couple of compelling yeah, yeah, yeah. studies on this. So, so uh, you know, for sure it's not the same thing as real bugs. But, but uh, I mean, the same idea we can apply even if we have real, real bugs. If we had good databases with real bugs... Uh, we could use mutation mm -hmm. testing tools to inject those bugs or exactly. similar bugs and so on. So, mm -hmm. no, I think uh, I don't think it's so much uh, the industry doesn't need to think about mutation testing. I think they can use it. Mm -hmm. Then, when you start using it and you value it, I think then it's a really powerful if you can cl close the loop a little bit so that you start designing tests that help you increase the quality. Mm -hmm. But that, that's kind of the next level. I think at first you can use it as a thermometer to see uh, you know, how hot or good or whatever is my test suite or not. Yeah. But, you know, of course there are scalability problems. There are many problems. They are probably not impossible to approach. Yeah. At least not on a unit uh, smaller level. Exactly. So are there techniques that you've got come to mind? Except mutation for testing. testing. Yeah, for testing. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I. But this is very personal. I, yeah. Maybe it's, this is too advanced. Maybe if you're talking about applying it today, I think. But you even know, I, if, even if if I was like learning, if I was a, a young researcher, <laughs> whatever, coming into software testing, I would probably go to basics. I mean, applied mathematics on this. I mean, what are the limits? Personally, I have a couple of projects now, papers, studies going on on using information theory to understand what does it mean to what are the limits and i mean even the fact that we we can measure diversity so it's a, a, a very normal idea for any tester doing manual testing when they create tests is that if i'm going to create three tests i want them to be different i don't want them to be super similar because then i will learn less about mm. how my software behaves that's a simple intuition but very, very... simple but how do you formalize this <laughs> and i think with uh, with some of these tools that we found in, in information theory and applied i think we can actually start discussing this more what does it mean diversity on a more mm. fundamental level and you know, or you also get as a benefit some metrics that you can actually use then to optimize and search yeah. for better, more diverse test suites yeah. or select. Even we have tried this a little bit. If you are in industry and you have thousand test cases in a test suite, you can use these tools to kind of reduce them. So if you only have time to run fifty, I mean, yeah. you know, you you want to select the fifty most different. Okay. You can use these tools. So I think that's that's an idea, but it's probably not at the level where you can download and use it. So yes. yeah, so that's that's kind of kind of a more advanced yeah, idea. Yeah. So what what do you think about automated test generation or uh, yeah, I mean, test automation? Yeah, but that's that's such a a, a big field. Yeah. I, I'm personally, I think it's a little bit early for many companies. Unfortunately, I would hope I could say it's not, but I think there has been recent studies showing that. Let's say at least uh, the tools that are currently among the top academically are, are maybe not so useful. I don't know. Mm. Uh, you know, there there are other papers claiming they are useful, but I think for most companies that I've worked with, uh, it's probably not yet polished mm. enough. They, they, I mean, the output is a little bit too muddled, maybe, and mm. it's hard to understand and so on. So. I doubt most companies or most testers today could download these tools and, and be super happy with the results. Yeah. So I think there's some, still something to be done there. And is it? It's also a problem, I guess, that they can be applied to units and small like pieces of software. Yeah, Maybe like a people, class in yeah, Java. Or and some people would like to have it in a, on a bigger level. Or something. Yeah, and there's also the problem that in general they are a little bit worse for for stuff that takes non-numerical inputs or okay we can handle like integers floating points of vectors and matrices and, and whatnot and more complex things but when we get to that level we probably need to add something to some of these tools to get more structured and meaningful data and, uh, i mean my own group and our own papers and together with simon polding i've been working now for almost five years to take kind of search-based testing into that structured data, more complex data generation. I think we can probably do that today for most uh, structures, but uh, it needs to be tested more and polished more. Mm. Right. So I, I guess everything is about the future also. But do you think it's like, is the field of software testing relevant for the future? Yeah, I mean, I think it's super relevant. I, I agree with the criticism that a lot of the research is kind of myopic. It's kind of focused on in the lab. It's, it's focused on improving some metric that some other researchers focus on. And I think it's a, quite a small change to many of these studies mm. to be more open up and go towards more realistic uh, evaluation. But on the other hand, it's not only the academics' faults. I mean, it's not so easy to, to go out and find meaningful software systems of, of a large scale where we can try and evaluate some of these tools. Mm. Even if we do it on open source, many companies would say, it's, oh, it's still not big enough or it's still not relevant enough. So if companies continue having that stance, they also need to provide us with that access, I think. Mm. And some do, but even if, if, even if they do it's not always you can publish on it this exactly. has happened yeah. to me many times so and, and some of the companies have research uh, research uh, divisions so they, they try to do it right they try to do it on their own yeah. and uh, i would say that there's mm -hmm. um, 
lot to do on this interface and mm. improving these processes. And I think if you see, I, I would actually claim that Google is probably taking the lead on opening up data on this. And uh, there are, I think there was an ICSI paper recently this year yeah. where with gigabytes and ter if not terabytes of, of uh, test data. Mm. And of course, these, if this is made available to the research community at large, that will help a lot, but mm -hmm. other companies need to do this, and I, 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 I f they have very little to lose. I mean, mm -hmm. it often it's harder, maybe even in testing, to get them to re release the data because they are very afraid of like the PR. Mm -hmm. You know, they could lose if it says in the in the morning newspaper tomorrow that Ericsson saw baby B, some company has. 4% of all tests are, are fail. You know, it sounds really bad, mm -hmm. but if, if that's part of the development, it's mm -hmm. not too bad. And you, know, you can always claim that, oh, we fixed that many times ago. You can also say they save all the data, so you can go like two, three years back, then it's not so sensitive. Mm -hmm. And I think there are, this has been solved many times. And, but the examples from Google kind of shows, I think, what many others need to do and need yeah. to do soon. I mean, you need to work with researchers, work together, and also open up and release the data because that's how you will get more, much more quickly. It's more efficient for the world <laughs> and for society yeah. if more people can fix these things quickly. I mean, yeah. if, if all the data is closed, we will learn collectively mm. much slower. And this is a problem. This, I think, is the best, best yeah. thing people, companies can do is to open up and have a dialogue and work to improve. Uh, mm. And often they get many benefits also from that. I guess this is quite exciting. And like if, if, if a lot of companies would do that, I think the, the, the research community would... would yeah, I mean, uh, we st we're still bad. hoping. We have the testing ICST, big testing conference in Westeros in Sweden next year. And I'm involved with that. I'm the PC chair together with Shin Yu from South Korea, case. And uh, we really hope that we can also have real data sets from, from companies, large data sets uh, relevant for test research uh, and make it available. But, but who knows? Mm. This is really up to the companies. And, yeah, uh, that's true. Yeah. So what, what advice would you have um, for, um, for students getting started? Yeah. Uh, in software engineering studies. Yeah, I, th I think the first thing is to, to view it like in a ho it's, uh, it sounds strange, but holistically, I mean, th there are many layers to being a good software engineer. I mean, there are really technical issues mm -hmm. like, you know, hardcore stats needed to understand and evaluate the quality up to, I mean, pure programming languages, algorithms and techniques to program them. But there are also many, many soft and human aspects. And I think if, if I would give one advice is that even if you're super interested in the hardcore stuff, you should at least open up and be open to discuss and understand that there are other issues. There are softer issues. There are teams, organizational politics. Mm. I mean, there's so little research on politics and how that affects software organizations, software engineering. I think one of the best things, I'm not sure if it's, but right. I remember when I, when, I, when I did my engineer's degree, one of the coolest things was I took a philosophy course. Oh, yeah. And yeah, this exactly. is incredible. Just to do, to, 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 you, yeah. you get so much knowledge just by doing something else. Yeah. And that helped me quite a lot. And I think, so I think just yeah. getting Courses, yeah, getting courses, and of course, different. like you say, I mean, the the basic stuff is always going to help you, like yeah. philosophy, mathematics. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, information theory, yeah. like really apply uh, statistics. I mean, super important for yeah. all areas of life, and these foundations you can all you can always be of use yeah. if you know these things well, you know. Or uh, how do you design an experiment and evaluate, you know, what you got from that experiment? This is always going to be useful. But when it comes to the more topics in software engineering, I think you, many university teachers, they focus too much on, on something. And then sometimes I feel they give students uh, the impression that if I only learn this uh, finite state machine modeling language, software quality issues are solved. No, they are not, you know, for sure they are not solved. I mean, mm -hmm. that does not help you at all when 
the the you know certification agency comes and want to see mm. what what kind of quality assurance you have. I mean, it helps you, but it's no in no way complete. Mm. So I think you should be open to that. The, this is a huge area. I think if you look at universities, they have 40, 50 dip, uh, divisions or is, uh, departments that focus on atoms, right? That you know. From physics mm. up to chemistry, mechanics, and all the way up to construction, mm. you know, how to, how to build the roads and the bridges and whatnot. And it's all about how do we align uh, atoms in a certain sense to, to, to do what we want. We will have 40, 50 departments in information theory, you know, in, in information technology, software mm. technology, software engineering, like the... We have atoms on one bit, but we have information and knowledge and so on on the other side. And I think mm. probably it will be the same, you know, mm. number and, and and size in some sense of uh, of research and institutions focusing on that. Mm. And you know, you need to see this breadth and uh, kind of uh, why would you close out and say, oh, I'm only going to care about. Uh, requirements, or I'm only going to care about the formal modeling of the architecture, or uh, you know, why would do that? I think a broad, basic view, and then of course the basic knowledge is always going to help you, and then be open and continue learning. I think mm. many students they will have to be more up to date with the research and universities. It will not be okay to go out and then. Mm. You, if you know Java today, you go yeah. out and yeah, in five years people use Julia or something else. You know, yeah. I mean, what do you do? I mean, you have to. It's not only on the technical that. level; it's also to the idea of mutation testing, the idea of search-based software engineering. Most software engineers don't know that, even if they graduated a few years ago. Mm. This is not going to. People need to know about the powerful and strong techniques, mm. approaches, and ideas. Otherwise, how can they improve? Mm. So I think, uh, yeah, you know, lifelong learning, it's, uh, <laughs> everyone says that, but it, it's really concrete. What, yeah. what, if you don't do that, what, what do you then do? I mean, you That's can't a, just sit on your exactly. ass and uh, you know, <laughs> expect, expect reality to conform to, to your skills mm. and ideas. I think that's a good point. Um, but, I, yeah, it's, let, let's try to go to another topic yeah. now. So which are the... Because now you maybe maybe we talked about what what students um, can learn and should maybe learn when they are when they when they are uh, mm. uh, in their uh, software engineering studies. Yeah. Um, what are the people that inspired you when you were a student, or even now? It's like you know, during your career. <laughs> wow, that's a difficult one. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, I must say that uh, the 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 number one that comes to mind is the the only psychologist, maybe not the only, but the latest psychologist to get the Nobel Prize, Daniel Kahneman, is probably one of the guys I admire the most. You know, uh, kind of the the the, yeah. I mean, just the strength of different theories and results he has had through the years in psychology and. His approach and also his wisdom. If you if you just go to the YouTube or, or find interviews with him, I mean he has a breadth of knowledge. And even now, I mean he in his book a few years back, Thinking Fast and Slow, I think it's named. Uh, he made some statements in there about new research areas in psychology that probably turned out to be not the wisest of advice. And to someone at that level, now I think recently he went out and said that no, it was probably wrong of me to to promote this uh, type of research. I think mm. it's uh, too early to say. You know? mm. I mean, it's pretty. It, that's not a very egotistical person. I mean, mm. it requires quite a lot of wisdom, and of course he has kind of the power, and and he's an important figure, right? But I think mm. so. It's not really a software engineer, uh, and. That has been inspired, but I think he's inspiring, and his work is very inspiring and, and important. And often you can learn a lot from that. And closer to home, I think I'm more inspired by like creative game developers, or or like okay. I don't play a lot of maybe not not. I play more kind of mobile games and, and so on. So I, I'm not at all an expert in like let's say the 3D type <laughs> of. 
point and shoot or whatever it's called, <laughs> like third person shooters. shooters. Stuff, yeah. It's not maybe my thing, but I think there's a lot of, for me, that, that kind of initial uh, happiness and, and the power mm. of the computer and mm. kind of interactivity. I think the game industry, in some sense, you know, if you take away the commercial aspects, mm. embodies that in, in the, in the so, so, you know, mm. some of the people that created really good games, mm. you know, from from nothing really when when we didn't know what type of games mm. there are there. <laughs> yeah, I think they they are they are inspirational. I mm. think, and I think and that there are a lot of game designers like that. Yeah, like what's it called? The guy who did Populous and then like the uh, the Sim games and I mean Sid Meier. Sid Meier. I yeah, I, I I I'm not so very good at games, but. Yeah. I think that type of so it's not only it's not really a person it's also a kind of a, a, a an approach yeah. to to the computer and to computer as a creative tool maybe that I think mm -hmm. I find that very inspirational. Oh, that's that, that's really interesting. Yeah. So do do you, do you still write code? Uh, oh yeah. What what, what kind of <laughs> software do you write? What language? Do you I, I, yeah, I mean, it's like ninety-eight percent Julia. I, I, I just think it's a kind of a, a brilliant, brilliant. Tell me more about Julia. Uh, it's just a brilliant language. So, f for me, I mean, if I, I've, uh, I know a lot of programming languages, and my favorite ones are, I mean, Ruby. I've, I was really active in that for long, yeah. and I think I wrote a book about it. It's not really a book. I, I contributed a few chapters to a book, and it's not a really good book. But anyway. I'm on there. So I did a lot of stuff in the Ruby community, in a sense, and I liked it. And the thing I liked it is, is like what people like about Python, that it's kind of dynamically typed, and it's kind of like, it's closer to my idea of the computer as a creative canvas or something where you can create something, right? Then, the, 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 for me, the statically typed, the kind of, the, the languages that enforces something on me when it's not always clear yet what I need and so on mm. then, then I, I feel a little bit constrained and Julia combines many of these ideas and also other ideas from other languages that I love like from Lisp many like macros and the, the kind of that you can self update your code mm. in a, con a more controlled way uh, and then it has a super impressive uh, compilation model and it can get close to C performance while having these really high level uh, properties yeah. is extremely uh, impressive. So so I, I almost switched entirely. I, I use Julia for, for most things. Okay, so you, but you use Julia for, 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 for software that you use in your research? Or yeah, mostly? research and also when I do consultancy yeah. work okay. and so on. Because nowadays it's so easy, I mean, uh, if you go five, ten years back, if you worked with a company, okay, they either wanted C or C++ or Java, and that's it. Or, I mean, some wanted C Sharp, but, but mm. not the ones I worked a lot with. Mm. So it was a lot of Java, I guess, and also the research community focused on that. But nowadays, if you consult, I mean, you can package it all in a Docker file, and they don't even need to know what's in there. Exactly. And typically, what I pack in my Docker files <laughs> when I create solutions are Julia... R and maybe Ruby for like some glue code, but less and less because I can use Julia for that. But Julia will be like it's a mix of MATLAB, R, Lisp, Ruby with C like performance. And for mm. me, these five languages or so are really powerful ones. And they all have like, okay, I, I also like Haskell. And I like, and some of the things you can do in Haskell is like magic and, and really impressive. But it's not the only mode of programming that, that I like and, and cherish and have seen value in. And I think for mm. me, Julia has more, many more of the aspects that I value. Mm. Um, you sold it to me. I need to try it. Yeah, I yeah, you can try it. it. But, but uh, <laughs> I still need R in there because a lot of the new statistics and machine learning and so on is maybe more accessible within an R environment. But mm. luckily, you... It's just a library in Julia, and you can run any R code mm. from within Julia. So you, I, I cannot hide that. But I still need to install R on, yeah. on the Docker files. Yeah, that's so interesting. But so you, you're an avid, uh, I would say an avid maybe, you're a Twitter user, right? Uh, I like it, yeah. Is Twitter, uh, Twitter useful for your communication with other researchers? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, 
I never liked Facebook. I don't know. Can, can blogging, you say this? Facebook. And I like. I tried blogging. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really like Facebook. Uh, I, 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 the whole kind of social, the, the more like family, private aspect of Facebook is not for me. I don't want to share what I eat. You know, at least now this is a simplistic view. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm uh, caricaturing it. But but so I kind of stopped that quite early on after mm. trying it. And uh, then I tried a little bit of blogging. I tried uh, maybe doing uh, video stuff for like summarizing papers and so on. But uh, I mean, for me, Twitter is nice, and I can see now it's kind of a big community globally of software engineers, and there's a lot of sharing and quick kind of. Mm turnaround of ideas and exchange of things and I think it's speed it has sped up as the the, the double blind reviewing in software engineering I think that that would have been a slower transition without the, a lot of the Twitter discussions and sharing of information it went into that and I, so I see that quite clearly mm-hmm. but for me Twitter I only use it like for work stuff I, I wouldn't you know I, I don't like even Instagram for me if you, I have an Instagram account, it's mostly for like closest family. Yeah, I do but same. suddenly you get like invitations from colleagues, and I don't really know how to handle that. Because mm. for me, it's like no, I don't want to share my picture of my little daughter with a colleague in somewhere. I mean, yeah. for me, it's like different worlds. No, I do the same. I, I so. try to keep it separate. Right, but right. You, you always get some some people from work or something that wants yeah, to. Yeah, and even and sometimes these it's okay, but sometimes it's not. So. No, I mean, so I, I, so I, I use. I think Twitter for me kind of substituted all the mm. blogging and the Facebooking and all that stuff. The the, the non paper writing stuff mm. goes yeah. into Twitter for yeah, me. Yeah, that's true. So So I like it and I think it has I mean I've met people and even people that are moving here to Chalmers to software engineering now that I knew from Twitter, but when I met them, we kind of like, yeah, it's you, right? And <laughs> that yeah, was quite fun. Quite and he's, uh, he's moving in, or yeah. uh, one of those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's good, it's, it's good for community, actually. So, yeah, yeah I think so. so before we close, can you recommend three books uh, on or scientific papers to our listeners oh. um, that you think it's important for them to read? I think... I wouldn't want to do that about papers. I think that uh, then I would really have to think about yeah, it because yeah. I think there are many. Yeah, many there's you know. so many. Sorry, but I, I, yeah, I no. and I don't want to pick something out. <laughs> but um, like books in general, it should not only scientific books. Maybe just well, books in general. Yeah, I don't know about like favorites going way back, but uh, I mean I tend to, <laughs> I I like science fiction and and okay. not only for like entertainment. I like it for. Uh, as a researcher, I think I, I view it as a, mostly a creative thing, right? And mm. I, 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 and how do you train your creativity? For me, I, I, for me, I, it helps to kind of think in new ways. And, and I, for me, I think I actually view science fiction more as work, <laughs> because for me, it's kind of like you massage, you take a massage of your brain, and try to kind of shake up a little in the best science fiction. Mm. Not not everything. I mean, a lot of it can be dull and boring and not mm. full of ideas. But the, the kind of idea-heavy science fiction, mm. I think, can be used as a, both setting a goal for stuff we want to do with society and technology and software mm. and AI. So what and, would um, be like a, a yeah. favorite science fiction book? Your favorite uh, science fiction book. I like, like I, I like, I or, am, no, yeah, of course, but, but um, I am Banks. I am Banks. The whole series there. Unfortunately, I think he died a few I'm years sure. back, so it's kind of, there are no more books coming, but yeah. there are many good books there. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I can't remember, <laughs> but if I remember correctly, his series are the ones where they are like huge, uh, basically black, holes or but they are like really powerful AIs computers that mm. have kind of a civilization and mm. they they coexist with more human like mm. creatures and there's a lot of exciting I would say ideas or like shake up ideas for AI and uh, search and optimization even in, in those books on a, on a, on a meta level. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's I interesting. A lot of research, a lot of other right. like, uh, scientists do this. Like they yeah. read, they read science fiction, and they write sometimes. Yeah, they, yeah, they, that's, yeah, that's something. Yeah. Yes. I, uh, so you're not alone in this. <laughs> like, no, that's it's true. No. In a way, and and actually, many of my closest colleagues, we exchange a lot of uh, you know book advice. Uh, about this uh, uh, and 
I read recently the the Raj series. There's a, like a tri it's a trio of books. I think she, Shelecki or something. I mean, she she's an American writer. That's yeah. she's a little bit older. She started writing only a couple of years ago, or yeah. she got published a couple of years ago. And the first book won a Hugo Hugo Award, I think. And in that series, I, I found that that was pretty good. That was my latest one that I can sort of remember because I, I read a lot of those <laughs> that I not always re remember. Then Accelerando, and, uh, Accelerando uh, Charles Stross, mm -hmm. he, he has a lot of like this idea science fiction that mm -hmm. I find quite uh, interesting. I mean, he has these books where there's a society kind of around the sun because that's kind of the... Yeah. most energy efficient way is to be close to the sun or something I mean there are yeah. some really nice books from Charles Stross oh, so there, there are at least actually three authors if yeah. not books oh, they, um, they, they, I think this is a, this is a good uh, selection I would say yeah cool but, uh, but I would also advise I mean software engineering research if, yeah. if you plan to write a book uh, about yeah. you in your field look at psychology look at biology I mean the, the textbooks they have I mean, it's another class. I mean, we, we don't have that type of knowledge yet. <laughs> I mean, it's my favorite. I still have, I have a really thick, the, the, the basic book in biology that they used in Gothenburg University. So I, I bought that when I did my PhD, since it was on biologically inspired algorithms, partly. I mean, it's so dense. I mean, yeah. one book is like super thick. And each page, <laughs> there's so much knowledge oh and models. And, and I think... We should all strive to, to get to that level when we have so, so much knowledge. I, I, if I compare books also where, that I contributed to, they are mostly like, in some sense, they are almost opinion yeah. <laughs> compared to some of these more, um, uh, yeah. And, and many of these scientific areas still are in crisis over yeah. their use of statistics and so on. But, uh, so, but I think that will go for us all. We can yeah. all improve on this. But uh, for sure, I'm I'm very impressed with some of these basic science areas and their yeah. textbooks. And it's, it's impressive. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, cool. Yep. So, thank you so much. Thank you. And this was really fun. Let's do yes. that again sometime. <laughs> for sure. My pleasure. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks.